0: Hello and welcome if this is the first time you've listened to me, or welcome back if you have been a repeat visitor. This week on Fabulous Folklore with Icy, as part of March's witchcraft month, we're going to have a look at witch bottles. Now I don't know if you've ever seen witch bottles before, but they actually date to at least the 1600s in both England and the US. But despite the name, witches didn't actually make the bottles themselves. Instead, ordinary people would make them to repel witches' powers. So if you thought a witch had cast a spell on you, you'd create a witch bottle to counteract it. Now I must admit, I always find this kind of thing rather amusing. That the first thing people do if they think they've been bewitched is use some kind of spell to counteract it. So really they're becoming witches themselves. But I'll just leave that little spot of irony with you. So in this week's episode, we're gonna look at the original witch bottles and also their modern counterparts. And there's even gonna be some simple instructions towards the end if you'd like to make your own. So let's get started and consider where exactly are which bottles actually found. Now, I don't mean geographically, I do mean where are they found in a physical sense. And for centuries, people have hidden all sorts of items in their homes to offer some form of protection. You sometimes see them in museums where they'll have found written charms, dried cats, shoes, even horses' skulls in various parts of the house. And if you check out my blog post for this episode, there's a link to episode 3 of the Folklore podcast, which talks about these very same things as part of the Concealed Revealed initiative. Now, I think everybody will probably have something in their house that's there for some protective measure, and that's largely why people hid these weird things in strange places. But people usually find witch bottles either buried under the hearth or hidden inside a chimney. So, given where they're hidden, people usually only find them if they're remodeling a house, because why else would you take up a hearthstone? And Brian Hoggard notes that a bottle from the late 18th or early 19th century turned up under a farmhouse hearth in Kent incidentally smaller versions which were actually a little bit more like vials were found under the floor along with children's shoes and toys in Worcestershire. So in these cases they've obviously been put there by someone for some reason. Some commentators think that homeowners were trying to protect their houses with these bottles and that's why you also sometimes find witch bottles buried at the edges of property so it's to kind of act like a perimeter defence if you want. And in 2014, archaeologists found a witch bottle at the site of a new civil war centre in Nottinghamshire and the experts thought it dated to the construction of the Georgian part of the old Magnus building. And the project manager did confirm the centre would display the bottle when it opened. So hopefully for whatever reason it was put there, that purpose is continuing. Now, how do witch bottles actually work? Well, as you might imagine by the name, they are literally a bottle although I have found mentions of them also using inkwells, jam jars, tins, any kind of container that you could put something in. They were often made of ceramic or glass, and then people would put fingernail clippings, hair, urine, things like that in them. I've come across stories of bottles that also contained thorns, red thread, broken glass, nails and pins the red thread one's quite interesting because an old way of banishing witches was to make a cross out of two twigs of rowan and then you'd bind them around the center with red thread to act like a talisman against witches so it's interesting that you'd find red thread in these bottles now some people think the witch bottle just protected the whole property if it was buried outside so the witch bottles attracted negative energies and trapped them which is a little bit like leaving out a bottle of beer to attract wasps or flat coke or whatever it might be. However, if you then bury that bottle under the doorstep, you're not going to disturb it. And if you think about it, a doorway acts as the most likely point of entry for any negative spirits. So the idea being that you'd have your bodily sort of ephemera in it, be it hair or whatever, sort of to mark the property as yours. And then you'd have things like the pins and what have you to trap any negative energy. However, Owen Davies actually cites the witch bottle as a tool for counteracting witchcraft and that comes back to what we said at the beginning of the episode. And here, they were used to reverse a spell that had been cast on a person. So, the urine and the hair or the nail clippings came from the person who'd been bewitched and it then linked the bottle to them. Then they would add the thorns, the nails, pins, anything like that, which were intended to cause pain to the witch and they were added to the bottle. The bottle was then heated in a fire which would obviously cause even more pain to the witch and would then cause her to break the spell. Eric Maple actually relates a story told to him by an old woman about the use of a witch bottle to break a spell. In this case, the bottle was heated in the fire until they actually heard sort of fingernail scratchings on the outside of the door. Unfortunately, somebody spoke which broke their counter spell because apparently they needed to be carried out in absolute silence. So I can only assume that this particular act of counter-witchcraft didn't work. Now, Baron in mind, Eric Maple wrote that article in 1960. If he was told that by an old woman, this implies that this kind of thing was still going on in the late 19th century, which is also bound up by a story of a cunning man named James Murrell in Essex. Now, cunning men and cunning women were basically herbalists who would essentially perform... A rudimentary kind of health service, and often would you know use herbal remedies and so on. So not witches in that sense. In this case, he actually had a local blacksmith cast iron witch bottles, and according to Eric Maple, Morrel used one of these bottles to repel a witch after she'd cursed a young woman. So Morrel held the bottle in the fire until the witch arrived, and she was obviously begging him to stop because she was in so much pain. And the next day, they actually found the witch burned to death, and the girl recovered. However. Ralph Merrifield also claims that Murrell died after someone used a witch bottle against him in 1860, so you do have to wonder quite which side of the fence he fell off on. But anyway, one stoneware bottle that was found on a building site in Suffolk contained human hair, six brass pins, broken glass, 40 rusted nails and a piece of felt that was in a rough sort of heart shape. But according to Ralph Merrifield, a witch would be doomed to a slow and painful death if the witch bottle was hidden, because apparently only uncorking the bottle would break this counter spell. So, obviously, if you feel that you've been bewitched and you create a witch bottle to counteract it, if you want to make sure that the witch isn't going to then just uncork the bottle and undo all your hard work, you would obviously have to hide the bottle, right? So that was often why they were buried under hearthstones. Now just to take this one step further, some bottles have actually been found buried in churchyards and one was even found inside a coffin. And in this case, it was in between the upper left arm and the upper part of the chest, which kind of gives you a mental image of the body cradling it in the coffin. And obviously that's one way of making sure no one uncorks it. And with this particular one, researchers found copper pins inside the bottle and then others stuck in the cork. So that's which bottles. You've also got Bellamine bottles. And according to Mama C, an article I found online, quite a particular type of bottle became popular for this use between the late 1500s and the mid 1600s. And these bottles have like a man's face on the front of them. And that's the likeness of Cardinal Robert Bellamino. And these particular bottles often come from Germany or the Netherlands. And this Cardinal Bellamino was really not a popular man at all so putting his face on the bottles meant that evil spells found thought they had found their target so they were tricked and they would attack the bottle and not you so in this particular instance you wouldn't necessarily make them to counteract sort of a specific spell against you it would just be any evil spell against you and an intact example of one of these bellamine bottles was found in greenwich in 2004 and this one was filled with urine brimstone iron nails and fingernails there's a fuller article about it on The New Scientist, and I've got the link on my website. And Farina Thiel and Andrew D. McCarthy actually looked at the scientific analysis of this particular bottle, and the chemical analysis from it revealed that the urine came from a smoker, but the fingernail clippings had all come from someone who'd had manicures. So as far as they're concerned, that implies that the individual wasn't a manual labourer, but actually a member of at least the upper middle class, which does go some way to show that it wasn't just poor people or people in rural communities who were turning to these witch bottles for help. It was also people who maybe had access to better healthcare or higher paid individuals like astrologers and so on for help, but they still chose to use these witch bottles. Now, it's not just Murrell who mentioned using cast iron bottles. Enid M. Porter actually related a tale of a man who'd even seen an iron bottle hanging in a blacksmith's shed in 1901 and here a customer had ordered it but she's never got round to collecting it so that's a lot of different types of bottles and according to granny's grimoire there are over 200 witch bottles resting in museum collections so you do have to wonder how many of them have been discarded as trash and how many of them are still there waiting to be found but as i said at the beginning they're not just a British phenomenon, you do get them in the US as well. And according to Chris Manning, eight possible witch bottles have all been identified so far. The first one was the so-called Essington witch bottle and that one was identified by an archaeologist named Marshall Becker in 1976 and this one was found on Great Tinicum Island in Pennsylvania. Now this bottle contained a long thin bone from a bird, six pins and a shard from a black ball. Now, I don't know if this one was actually tested or not, but Becker believed that the bottle dated to the mid-18th century. Now, according to him, the practice of white witchcraft was widespread in colonial America, despite legislation against it. And he maintains that people buried bottles for more generalised protection under doorsteps or fireplaces. Whereas if you were using them as a countermeasure against a specific curse, you would throw them into streams. So it does make you think that these ones were more of a deterrent by burying them. Uh, under your, your doorstep rather than against anyone in particular. Becker also claims that people used urine as a form of sympathetic magic. So when you think about it, urinary infections would have been really common in those days and you wouldn't have had the antibiotics to treat them that we've got. So many people might have believed witchcraft was the cause for them because they wouldn't have known what actually caused them. So you, using their urine in a bottle would basically mean that they could send the pain back to the witch. And Barbara Rieti explains that in Barronville in Newfoundland, They even had a bank where people went to get new pins that they needed for their witch bottles and the doctors in the town actually treated the bladder bound witches. So in this case you've got somewhere where People are actually buying the materials to make witch bottles quite regularly. And then the doctors are even treating people who believe that they've been on the receiving end of a counter spell, which is quite interesting. But I did promise you the instructions to make a witch bottle. And thankfully, the modern versions contain much more pleasant ingredients. And one recipe that I found online just simply asks you to add rosemary needles and pins to a small jar. You recite the following as you do so. Pins, needles, rosemary wine In this witch's bottle of mine Guard against harm and enmity This is my will, so mote it be Next you would fill the jar with red wine And you would seal the jar using red or black candle wax In this case you recommend that you just simply Drip the melted wax from a lit candle And then let it set Then you can either bury the jar at the edge of your property Or hide it somewhere in the house The idea behind this particular version Is the pins and needles would impale evil The wine would drown it And rosemary would send it on its way you can also use these witch bottles as a means to draw other things towards you like money or romance or good luck but you would just leave out things like pins and broken glass and stuff like that and you would just put in things that were related to the outcome you desired so like for romance you might have rose petals or something like that some people do call these spell bottles not witch bottles because they've got a different purpose behind them but i just thought i'd give you both versions So there we have it. That's a potted history of witch bottles and a simple way to make one yourself. Now, whether you believe or not, it might just give you a little bit of peace of mind if you have something like that around your house. Or alternatively, you might also just feel happier hanging a horseshoe above your door like we do. It's entirely up to you. But thanks for listening. Next week, we're going to have a look at candles and their folklore and how they're used in magic. So I will see you then. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to subscribe using whichever podcast app it is that you prefer. If you do use iTunes, if you could leave me a review, that would be fab. Basically, it just means iTunes are more likely to recommend this to other people. And if you're interested in more folklore, please feel free to swing by my blog, which is www.icsedgwick.com, and that's Sedgwick spelled S-E-D-G-W-I-C-K. And you can find all of the links, images, and other bits and pieces that hopefully you enjoy. So have an absolutely fab week ahead, and I'll see you soon. Cheerio!